Portage Health Foundation scholarships include three scholarships designated specifically for every public high school in Barraga, Houghton, Keweenaw, and Onsenagan counties. Learn how to apply at phfgive.org scholarships. Interested in skilled trades, technical education, an out-of-state school, a private college, community college? We've got you covered with more than 40 scholarships available. The deadline to apply is March 3rd. Learn more and download an application at phfgive.org scholarships. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today, brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. I'm Todd Van Dyke. You can learn more about them at phfgive.org. The prosecutor in Barriga County, Joseph O'Leary, is taking a stand against one of the really nasty problems that we are facing in our society these days, and that is methamphetamine addiction. Uh, Joel released a statement this week saying that he is no longer going to cut plea deals with people involved in methamphetamine trafficking and sales. And I thought, let's find out a little bit more about that. So Joe O'Leary joins me on the program. Joseph, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Todd. You see this on a day-to-day basis, a week-to-week basis. I've talked with people on the treatment side of this. I've talked with people on the law enforcement side of this. I've never talked with anybody who's in the middle of it the way that you are. How serious has this problem become for you and other prosecutors? Oh, boy, I would say the last last two, three years, maybe a little longer than that, I, it, it seems to have been an explosion. Uh, I... I hardly have a day go by where a methamphetamine case um, doesn't hit my desk. And prior to that, I hardly ever saw it. It just, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it it came fast and furious. And it's been just a nightmare. What's what's so troubling to me, this substance is, I've learned a lot about it in the last few years. It's wildly addictive. People use it, as I understand it, they get this fantastic high and they're just they're hooked they're hooked physically they're hooked emotionally they're always chasing that first high and it you know and that's that's bad enough i mean there's other substances that that do that things like heroin um, cocaine these are bad substances and i've seen people addicted to that but there's something just qualitatively different about methamphetamine. I, I, I know people that were longtime heroin users, for example. I knew a guy who ran a program in Oklahoma, a drug rehab program, who had been a 20-year heroin addict, daily user. Uh, he certainly has many physical issues, you know, relating to his liver and kidneys. Sure. But as sharp as a tack, he came back from it. When he finally kicked it, got off it, I see people that have been using methamphetamine for a couple of years, and they're, they they almost seem to be different people. It's it's almost as if their their brain functioning has changed. Well, but and that is looking, what it is. That's what we are learning now about substance abuse: is that this stuff gets into your brain, it changes the chemistry, it changes the physicality, and that's why you can't get away from it because now your brain is physically dependent on it. Right, the normal um, normal things that cause pleasure and you know the the things that make life worth living are taken over by these substances. But what really bothers me about methamphetamine is the the physical impacts. I mean, the ingredients that go into this are essentially toxic waste. I mean, 
drain cleaner, white gas, battery acid. These are some of the key ingredients to methamphetamine. I have never understood why anybody, once you've explained to them what goes into this, why would you put this into your body? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, Judge Goodman, when we you know, are at the sentencing phase in a methamphetamine case, he does something that I've always found quite powerful. I don't know how it impacts the addicts that may be before him, the um, defendants. But he, he would ask them, if I set a glass of white gas right here and I told you, drink it, what would you tell me? Well, and of course, they invariably say, I tell you, no, I, I wouldn't drink white gas. But isn't that what you're doing with meth? Do you even know that this is one of the ingredients in the substance that you're putting in your body? And it shows, Todd. I mean, it shows you see people deteriorate. It, it affects their um, their muscles, their um, their teeth. Their, I, I, it really is astounding to me uh, how people would use this. It, it, it's just so insidious and powerful and so negative, so harmful to the, a, a human body and the organs and tissues of the human body. Yeah, it can age you physically 20, 25 years within a matter of two or three years. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you've probably seen similar pictures that I have, you know, before and after. Yeah. Here's somebody before they started on math. Here they are three years later, and, you know, a young, attractive individual in their early 30s, three years later, looks like they're in their mid-70s. Just, just astounding. What approach do you take when someone comes into the system who is, and let's differentiate perhaps from people who are trafficking and manufacturing against people who are using. Let's say I've gotten hooked on meth and I wind up in the system. How do you treat me? Well, and, and I tried to make it clear in my press release on this new policy I've adopted, addicts deserve sympathy. And they, they get sympathy from me. When they are just hooked on this um, substance, frequently they, they are at a point where they really don't have a lot of choice in the matter. So I'm, willing to, I'm still willing to negotiate with those folks. I mean, it, it is a crime to possess methamphetamine. It's a crime to use methamphetamine. But I kind of tend to target my resolutions of cases more along the lines of treatment and helping this person get over Obviously, there's going to be a punishment aspect. That's um, that's a given. That's the nature of our criminal justice system. But coupled with that, I like to see some kind of treatment. Let's let's address this. You know, be it medical treatment, uh, psychological treatment, you know, um, substance abuse treatment in a facility or otherwise. I, I'm I'm still all for that. I'm still willing to work with people in that regard. What but, kind of what kind of results do you see from people who come in on that end of it and go out and get some treatment? Is this something that can be come back from, or is it so powerful that it really is difficult to get past? Well, I really I wish I could say that I have seen really positive results with with this particular drug. I can say I've seen more with other drugs such as cocaine heroin, um, but with methamphetamine, I, I don't know. I, 
that's why I just have become so alarmed in recent years because I'm not seeing folks come back from them. I've seen them get hooked on this. They'll do their treatment, and they get out. They get out of jail. They get out of treatment, and almost every time, boom, they're right back at it. Wow. It, 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 it's, that, that's one of the things I just think it's right now the most powerful and scary drug I'm aware of. There's a newcomer on the block called fentanyl, which is pretty disturbing. I just haven't seen many cases of, you know, regarding this substance, that substance. That's more of an opioid. But the methamphetamine is just, I, I feel like I'm swimming in its own days. It's just a nasty, nasty thing. Before we talk about those who are charged with uh, meth crimes, let's, if we can, uh, Joseph O'Leary, talk a little bit about the plea bargain process that is in place in most every place. Uh, I know that there are people who have wondered for a long time, why do we have all these plea bargains? I see somebody's charged with this, that, and the other thing, and all of a sudden they're getting out with a minor sentence and it's a misdemeanor. Why have plea bargains become so pervasive in the criminal justice system to begin with? Well, they've, they've been there, I think, always. You, you look for a resolution of a matter. In the criminal justice system, I think plea bargains are so essential because of the sheer volume, sheer numbers. Trials are lengthy, costly processes that involve a lot of people, a lot of resources. It involves taking you know, 12 um, people randomly off the streets, virtually, <laughs> yanking them out of their lives and dropping them into a courtroom for a number of days. Yeah. They, uh, you know, they are not just a simple matter. Oh, we'll, we'll have a trial tomorrow and that's the end of it. No, it doesn't work like that. It's, it becomes long, costly, and the results, and, and this is unfortunate, but oftentimes victims are are kind of left out because the process tends to focus on the perpetrators, on the government that's bringing the charges, and victims are, are witnesses that I think sometimes feel like yo-yos. The plea bargain is a is a, a quick, effective way of bringing these cases to a close, getting closure for victims, getting restitution, you know, and bringing justice to the offenders. Now, when you talk about things like possession of methamphetamine, you know, you, you may think, well, that's a victimless crime. Somebody's just doing it to themselves. They're the victim, which is actually very true. But every one of those people has family. Every one of those people have friends. And as they deteriorate and, and fall apart, the impacts, it may not be, you know, criminal what happens to those around them that care about them. But it's pretty darn close because of the just to watch somebody that you love and care about decline so rapidly and so horribly and and engage in behaviors that they probably never would have if they hadn't gotten addicted to this type of a substance it it's um it, it, I think there are victims around crimes like that well, I think you've and got of course, a great if we're point. gonna talk yeah if we're gonna talk about uh delivery and and I know we're going to talk about that in a moment uh then there's very definitely victims oh yeah uh, because you're now you're peddling poison in my opinion well then let's move on to that uh Joseph O'Leary is the Barriga County prosecutor um there was 
is is there anybody at this point who's taking this approach in terms of uh, limiting or knocking out plea agreements? I know in Oakland County a number of years ago, the prosecutor down there said, we're not going to do any plea deals anymore. And I, I don't think that lasted. But is there anybody else who's taken this approach? Well, I, you know, I'm actually not sure um, because it is rather drastic. And those that I've, I'm aware of that have said, well, you know, it's usually on a campaign trail, for example. I'm not going to do any plea bargains. Well, once you're confronted with the reality of a position like I'm in right now, that's just infeasible. I mean, I, I am concerned mostly about delivering justice. That's what prosecutors do. We're not here to win. You know, we're not here to just get statistics and numbers. We're here to do justice in each individual case. And plea bargaining is a quick, efficient way of doing that. But the, um, the ones I'm aware of that have tried this, like a no plea bargain approach, uh, it really didn't work, which is why in this case I've narrowed it to two very narrow classes of crimes the delivery of methamphetamine essentially trafficking or manufacturing it making it cooking it preparing it now that's going to cause me plenty of extra work i guarantee you but um, i think it is manageable i you know i am aware that um, i believe over in alger county and this is all anecdotal i've just been told this by others but i i'm told that the prosecutor over there took a very hard stance, and I don't know that he took the approach of no plea bargains, period, but he really came down on those that were selling and distributing um, or uh, manufacturing the substance. And what I'm told is uh, a lot of folks packed up and moved. <laughs> he moved it to other counties, which you know I, I think may be an unfortunate side effect of what I'm doing here. On the other hand, if more and more prosecutors take that approach, these folks may soon find themselves with nowhere left to go. So It'd be a good homeless I, problem. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, and, and you did mention, you know, this is an expensive thing. Um, you are not a hugely staffed prosecution office there in, in Barraga County, and you're talking about uh, a number of trials now. You're talking about bringing in jurors. You're talking about paying public defenders, I assume, from uh, the contract that the, that the county has with the public defenders group here in the area. Is this something that can be absorbed by, first of all, your office, and secondly, by the county budget? Well, I'm, I'm hopeful it can. Uh, if, if I were to take this approach with all crimes, I'm not going to plea bargain. I'd probably break the county in a year. But by doing it with this very narrow class, and God knows I've got plenty of these cases, but I think that it's going to be a short-term impact. I think it is going to hit the county budget, but I think that it will be manageable. I think that uh, I, I would be able to go back, for example, if I'm running out of funds and ask the county board to consider increasing the budget for this type of thing. And I'm, I'm hopeful that in the long term, the deterrent effect that's going to be caused by this will be way more cost effective. And in a lot of areas just beyond the county budget, 
you know, crimes on the street, uh, the, the trouble that tends to surround um, what they call meth houses, for example. Because don't think the folks in the community don't know <laughs> who's doing this and where it's happening. So do law enforcement. So do I. The problem is, of course, I need enough evidence to go into a court of law and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they're doing this. Uh, but it's there. It's there in people's faces, and people are, uh, oh, and you know, people are um, aware of what's happening, and I think that they are willing to absorb this because of the, the long-term good it's going to do. The, the negative impacts of such a policy, I think, are going to be outweighed, both financially and otherwise, um, by the positive. Well, there was a meth house in my neighborhood in Lance a few years ago, and eventually it was busted. And I live in a nice, peaceful, calm neighborhood. I enjoy my neighborhood. And all of a sudden, there's this house in the middle of it, and we all kind of knew what was going on. And thankfully, they were able to shut it down. But this is such a nasty thing. These houses, once meth has been made in them, some of them actually become toxic sites. Oh, yeah. Um, Essentially, uh Toxic waste dumps. Folks have to go in in hazmat suits to deal with this. Very, very dangerous, very toxic. And again, it's to the, your point at the beginning. Why would anybody put this in their body? And it, it, it boggles my mind. I, I think for a lot of folks, they actually don't know. Um, they actually don't know that. I'm surprised how many defendants, when questioned by the judge, do you know? You know what make what are the ingredients? Not really, you know, which blows my mind, and it also blows my mind that they could not see the deterioration in themselves. I mean, presumably they they look at a mirror now and then. Presumably they see the impacts this is having on on their physical appearance, and and yet and, and perhaps it's just so incremental. But I, again, I think that this drug becomes so invasive, it just takes over. And that's really all, that is that is the concern of an addict, is I just got to get more. Which is why they do deserve sympathy, why I'm not extending this policy to to get the folks that are hooked on the poison. My target is the folks that are making the poison and passing it around. How much of that is being produced here, and how much of that, uh, every once in a while I see the, uh, the arrest reports we get from Upset and the other detectives who are, are pursuing this. How many of these people come from out of the area? In fact, many of them I see, you know, Milwaukee or, or, or Green Bay are, are trucking stuff up from there. How many are local? How many are not? Well, I, I see a lot of it coming from Milwaukee, especially in recent, um, the last year or so. But the um, there's almost always a, a local person involved, somebody that knows somebody down there, somebody that's you know had moved there and is now coming back. And when they come back, they're bringing it with them. Um, so I, I think a lot of the meth is produced outside of the county, but it is generally brought in by somebody who lives here or once lived here or know somebody that lives here or once lived here. So it, it's, as far as the bringing it up, crossing the state line, bringing it into the county, what I'm seeing 
his local fo- folks hooked up with folks that I've never seen or heard of. So what are the penalties involved for the crimes that you're looking at, the possession, uh, not the, the necessarily just the possession, but the manufacture and the distribution? How much trouble can I get in if I'm making this stuff? Well, if you're, if you're manufacturing methamphetamine or distributing it, that is a 20-year felony. Uh, if you have a prior criminal record, Michigan has an habitual offender statute, which uh, if you've got you know one prior, it's half again as much. So a 20-year becomes a 30-year. If you've got two priors, well, then you've got, uh, it doubles it. You're not looking at a 40-year felony. If you've got three, you're not looking at life in prison as the ultimate penalty. Obviously, judges have a lot of discretion when they sentence, but you know, at the very bottom end of it, if it's you're a first-timer and you get involved in this, you're looking at 20 years imprisonment. That's not uh, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at, that's for sure. No, and I typically, when I see these press releases and these reports, I see other crimes attached as well. There's a weapons charge that's attached or, or something else is attached to it. So can penalties be boosted because of those additional charges? No, but the additional charges would carry their own penalties. And in some cases, they can run con- um, consecutively, which means they do their time for one of the counts, and then they do their time for the next one after the first one's through. So if you've got a five-year and a 20-year, you could be looking at maximum exposure of, tw- of 25. Now, we do have... Um, something called sentencing guidelines in Michigan and actually in a lot of states and at the federal level. And those guidelines kind of hamper what judges can do. They, I, I don't like them. I don't think they're well thought out. Um, they were done legislatively. And in fact, uh, there were a lot of problems and issues and they were kind of struck down that the legislature didn't really have the power to tell judges how they would sentence people but they've become guidelines, so to speak, which every judge I know uses that as a guideline, and you need pretty serious reasons to depart from it. And I think that's part of the reason a lot of folks get upset is they like, well, this guy got a 20-year felony and he's only sentenced to a couple of years. Well, that's those guidelines. Uh, very seldom do you see somebody at the very top end of it. So... Say up until now, I'm charged with one or two of those 20-year felonies, and I've come into the system and we're plea bargaining. What might I have expected up until this point that I'm no longer going to get to expect? Well, um, for example, I think it's fairly common in this county and other counties, or it was before um, Tuesday, that you may have a delivery charge. After the negotiation, you plead guilty to possession which is a 10-year as opposed to a 20-year. And so a lot of folks, rather, you know, defendants, rather than rolling the dice on a potential 20-year top-end sentence, take where they know the top end is going to be 10, and they, risk, you know, they eliminate their exposure. And so that, for example, is, um, I think, fairly common in many cases. But I should point out, you know, the legislature has recognized that methamphetamine is kind of in a class by itself. You know, simple possession of methamphetamine is punishable by 10 years imprisonment. 
simple possession of heroin, for example, is punishable by four years imprisonment. Now, if you're selling heroin, same thing, 20 years. But the possession of these other crimes, you know, cocaine, for example, is the same thing. Simple possession. Um, those types of crimes demonstrate that the legislature, excuse me, the legislature recognizes that methamphetamine is kind of in a class by itself. Indeed, it is. And uh, Joe O'Leary, I've got to, I've got to cut things off because we're running out of time here. But I'm very curious to see how this works out. And uh, hope that uh, maybe I can kind of keep up to speed with how things are going on this because it's an interesting approach. And thank you for taking the time to explain it and talk to us about the whole problem with methamphetamine. Thank you, Joe. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. Joseph O'Leary, the Barriga County Prosecutor on Copper Country Today.